0: We're in Mark chapter 2 today, and it's uh, only five verses that we're going to read. It's a very short story starting in verse 13. It says Then Jesus went out on the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. And Levi, so Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Father, we just ask in the, these next few moments as we're looking into your word and, and really preparing our hearts to come to your table. Uh, we thank you for this, this invitation here and, and what that represents. And as we look into your word, we just pray, Holy Spirit, illuminate it, help to open our, our hearts and minds. We want to be open to receive what it is you have for us that we wouldn't leave. The same way we came in. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been having a little bit of fun here this summer. I don't know about you guys, but I have been. And uh, I don't know if this represents it or not, but uh, Nikki got me these different um, umbrellas. This one's kind of peach. It's not peach-flavored. I don't want you to get alarmed or anything. It's just water. But I have a few different ones. This is only the second one I had to use, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of grateful that I haven't messed it up. I haven't, like, broken. it. I, I forgot the, week, the first week, and so the second week I tried to draw some attention to it. Does it look like we're doing VBS in here? It's for all ages. It's, it's, it's an all-skate for, for everyone. But it's been kind of fun to see how many, especially out of the Gospels, but we were even just in the Old Testament last week, Uh, just how many stories and and just how much symbolism... Uh, water has from basically the second verse of Scripture to the very last chapter. And so quite often we're around the water or we're on the water or we're talking about water or we're getting thirsty for water, whatever it might be. And so here uh, we're in this short, short passage, this short story in Mark chapter 2, and Jesus went out on the lake shore again. And so uh, this isn't the first time, actually our first week and our second week, it was starting with Jesus teaching on one side and when he was done uh, on one he, he got in the boat the disciples went to the other side he, he calms the storm he gets to the other side he calms the storm inside a man there's all this crazy stuff happening on either sides of the lake and here he, he's, he's actually you know all the crowds are coming to him he's not always going to the people but sometimes he is but then in verse Fourteen, he saw Levi, and he's sitting there. And so I don't know if you can picture it. Is it like a hot dog stand? Only it's like come and do your taxes. Is it is it that kind of booth? I don't I don't know. Uh, but but perhaps you can picture something like that. But but many picture Levi sitting in this booth uh, with his his accounts open, his his pen or whatever in hand, and then Jesus he's he's actually coming to his place of work right here on the lakeshore, And if you had to pick a spot for such a job, I. I guess that's a good one. You can get a tan while you're doing it. And uh, so crowds were coming to Jesus, but crowds probably weren't going to Levi. Uh, but he was, he was there nonetheless. And so Jesus, he, he taught the crowds, but then he went to Levi. And so that's, that's the story. And uh, we, we find out in this short little story that although Levi had many colleagues, he probably knew what it felt like to, to be hated. And he probably uh, knew what it was like to be alienated and and to have a job like that. So imagine having a job like that today where people didn't actually want to come to you. And even if it is a professional thing, you kind of take it personally, don't you? But Jesus saw Levi and he said to him, follow me and be my disciple. So have you ever thought when Jesus asked his disciples to follow him, did they have any idea where they were going? Uh, what sort of journey were they going to go on? Or what will we be doing? You know, what's it going to be like? What's the plan? All these things that they could ask. Ken here says, We often want to see a plan, but God offers us a person. It's an opportunity to place our trust in Jesus and Levi took that opportunity. I love it. He he just he gets up and he follows Jesus. Uh, was it hard for him to like set his accounts down and whatever money? I don't know, but he he got up and he followed Jesus at that invitation. He wasn't a, a fisherman though. You you've heard those stories of Jesus calling some of the other disciples. He wasn't like that. And he couldn't just, uh, you know, leave the father in the boat and and go back to this potential job someday, like many of them did after the crucifixion. He was working for the Romans, and abandoning his post would have meant no return. And, And so Levi, we believe, actually left all of that behind to follow Jesus. And I found this interesting as I was studying this week. I'd never noticed it before, but at a regional level... Levi's former boss thought of himself as the king of the Jews. But at the highest level, his Roman boss thought of himself as the son of God, but Levi's new boss was truly both. And Levi had a new boss and he had a new assignment and following Jesus, it's an action that involves risk and a cost to the follower. It's not just about what you think or believe. In this case, following Jesus is all about what you do. And so have you noticed that that quite often when someone follows it's actually leaving starts the journey it's leaving that's connected to the following and when jesus invites us he says follow me and it requires leaving something behind I just want to point out Levi's name for a moment. We've often talked about how in in the gospel accounts, you know, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, the first three of them are called the synoptic gospels, and quite often there's something that's almost the same account in all three of them. Well, Levi's uh, Levi, his, his name in, in Mark's account, but in, in Matthew's account, and actually even in Luke's, it's, it's Matthew, uh, but we learn that he's Levi, son of Alphaeus, and there's actually a disciple, another disciple named James, son of Alphaeus, mentioned in Mark 3.18. We don't know for sure, but some think that Jesus actually had three different sets of brothers among the twelve, so we know Andrew and Peter. We know James and John, but possibly we have Matthew, and James, or Levi, and James, and it's not uncommon uh, for people in that day to actually have two names, or or quite often Jesus himself would change a name of of someone for different reasons, but as we get into verse 15, and this is really one of the themes of today, is an invitation to the table. In verse 15, we see um, that Levi invited Jesus, and so I don't know if you thought or ever heard of this joke before, but a tax collector invited a rabbi over for dinner. Do you you know that that one, or uh, no? That's a different one for another day, maybe. Uh, is that a, no? Is that all right? It's, it's okay. It's a dumb joke. You, you, can, you don't have to laugh. Um, Levi invited Jesus, uh, but Jesus is the one that actually initiated the fellowship with him first. I love that. Jesus went to Levi's work, his tax collector's booth, the hot dog stand, whatever, and now Jesus is actually going to Levi's home. And Luke refers to it as a banquet. And so th- this is interesting that Jesus is actually the guest of honor in, in that account. And it's not just a private encounter. There's actually a mix some think maybe 20 or 30 people, many of his tax collector uh, friends and disreputable sinners. Would you like to be named that? Would you like to be in that crew? And then, and then there's the 12. Um, and in this case, so it says here we see Levi, he receives Jesus into his home, but Jesus is receiving Levi as his own follower and actually begins the other way, that, that Jesus receives Levi as, as his follower and then Levi re- receives Jesus as the guest of honor in his home with these other tax collectors and disreputable sinners. And I love how it says there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But at this moment, at the invitation into this home, Levi's no longer a tax collector. No, Now he's a follower of Jesus, a disciple. But his friends and colleagues are still tax collectors and sinners is is the way that the, the religious people would refer to them as. Meeting Jesus was life-changing for Levi, and he wants his friends, his colleagues, to experience the one who changed his life. And how many of them begin following Jesus by the end of this dinner, we don't know for sure, but I bet they were drawn to Jesus. You can be sure that they've never felt love like that before. And so I ask, like, have you experienced that kind of love and acceptance from Jesus? Has your life been radically changed by him? Well, I would encourage you to invite your friends to your home, invite your friends to, to church, invite your coworkers, invite colleagues, people that could also experience that. What if this was a place where they actually met and experienced Jesus? Verse 16 says, But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with such scum? And if you've ever been treated this way, I heard Kenzie, Pastor Kenzie share this the last time he was preaching. We, uh, we really mean it. If you've ever been treated this way, and, and probably uh, I've, I've felt it and you've felt it, um, if you've been treated this way by religious people before, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I think we've all had some bad church experiences, uh, whether in the building or or by the people, and I'm sorry that that you've experienced that too. And sadly, sometimes the people who represent God are a barrier between them and Jesus. But let's not get in the way of a person coming to Jesus, and let's not get in Jesus' way and his plan for people to come to them. Levi invites Jesus inside. I think that's important. While the Pharisees, they actually reject Jesus from the outside. So they're, they're outside, and Luke writes it this way, that they complained bitterly, as, as they were accustomed to doing. They weren't asking a question. They were making an accusation of Jesus in this. And so here's just a quick summary of the story so far. It's a very short one, but it's packed full of things. So Jesus was walking, and Levi was sitting. And Levi get up to, to follow Jesus, and, and then he, he invited Jesus in. They reclined together, is, is the term, the, the eating and drinking around the table. They weren't just sitting in chairs like we're used to. We're going to see that in a moment. They reclined, and the religious watched, and they declined. And so this is one of the interesting kind of takeaways, is that Levi reclined with Jesus while the Pharisees declined Jesus. They were close enough that they saw him eating with these people. They were close, yet they were still outside the feast, this banquet, and by their own doing, by their own choosing, I, I guess, I like how the message, Eugene Peterson, he, he writes it this way, he says that Jesus was acting cozy with the misfits. I don't know about you, but is anyone picturing Rudolph and, and the, the, you know what I mean, those misfit toys? I was really hoping for a picture, but I didn't want copyright issues or something like that. But I, I just picture, like, that, is, is that it? Are they the misfits, right? The, it's a little early for Rudolph, but, um, but the eating with is reclining in this. And, and maybe you've heard this before, but even in the English Standard Version, it says that he reclined with them. It's because the Greek word, you know, different people summarize it different way. He was eating with them. He was eating and drinking with them, uh, but the reclining, we we don't think of it. We think of it like a lazy boy or something like that, but it wasn't really like that. Imagine that uh, approaching the table, and hard to say exactly the height of it, but it was like their head was towards the table and their feet were out behind them, and then the next person would be really close. If you think about uh, the the Last Supper, uh, the disciple John was resting his head on, on the chest of Jesus, well, probably because they were sitting so close together that he could just Lean back, and, and Jesus becomes a pillow for them, and they would have had different things around, but they were reclining. They weren't just mingling around like a, an awkward dinner, but they were reclining. They were doing it in the same way that people would do it for a feast or a banquet. And so, yeah, they're not just awkwardly uh, there, but the language and the opposition of the Pharisees to this implies that, yeah, he was. At reclining. It, it's, it's really popular at feasts, at festivals. And so it, it, the question is, is Levi the host of the feast, or is Jesus the true host? We believe Jesus is the Messiah, and the fellowship around the table anticipates this messianic banquet at the end of the time where Jesus himself is a host. He talks about that throughout the Gospels. We did a series at the end of June. It was three weeks in Luke chapter 15, and It was uh, really valuable for for my experience, and hopefully for some of you that were here as well. Uh, But you remember the story. There was this younger brother, and then there was an older brother. And uh, the story's not just about one, and it's not just about the other. It's actually about both. It's really about the father. Uh, But the younger brother, he was dead and lost, and at the end of the story, he's alive and found. Well, the older brother, he wasn't Dead or lost, but he was blind. We, we did find that to be true. And, and the important kind of principle, one takeaway from it, just a quick recap, is that uh, both sons needed the father's love. And, and Timothy Keller points out that the father has to go out and invite each of them to come into the feast. It's not just about the younger son, and it's not just about the older. He wants both of them at the feast. And, and perhaps in the story we were just reading, Uh, Perhaps Levi and his gang are kind of like the younger brother. And perhaps the religious leaders, they're kind of like the older. Well, Jesus actually wants both of them to be invited to the feast. But sometimes people decline that invitation The Last Supper, the the communion that we're going to take part in at the end of of our service today, there's this invitation to the table. That's kind of the principle here. And and it's not that this is the Last Supper taking place in this story. That's a different invitation. But there's so much symbolism here about forgiveness about the new covenant uh, to remember. And uh, Jesus, he forgives sinners and he even eats with them. That's that's what frustrated the religious in this story, but isn't that uh, worthy to celebrate? He he forgives sinners and he even eats with them. He calls them to follow, uh, to follow him, to be his follower, to be his disciple. He invites uh, us to the table to experience his mercy and grace. Uh, there was a couple stories that, that came to mind in the last few weeks. I don't know if any of you saw this story, but a couple weeks ago I was reading on uh, on Apple News, and it, and it came in. and I, I'm a sucker for stories about dogs, so so just FYI, I have one, so I love them. And uh, anyway. I was reading this story that happened maybe August 6th or, or so. There are these people. There's actually quite a few. I read a few different articles, and and they had kind of different information, but uh, but there were these guys uh, going into a cave. It's the second largest cave system in, in Missouri, and uh, they were spelunking, and there was all these people there. Spelunking is just kind of a fun word. I wanted to use that and sneak it into a sermon, but uh, anyway, they're, they're spelunking, and uh, they find this dog that had been down there for who knows how long, and, and they're just like what what the heck and it it was just skin and bones and and it was still alive but it was curled up on this rock and they could tell when they got closer you know it was dirty a little bit muddy the nails had grown quite long they're like it's probably been here a long time like how has it survived and there was water around but probably no food for for many weeks if not months and they get some extra help and it took about an hour but they were able to get the dog who was a little bit nervous and weak, they were able to get him up to the surface and you, they could tell kind of a change in it right away. And uh, they, they find the owner and uh, the owner gets him, gets him cleaned up and, and everything and trims the nails and you know, sees the vet and everything. And the owner talked about how that night when he went to bed it was actually 60 days or so since the dog went missing and they just had no, no way to find him and he was 500 feet down in this cave but the owner just said that he went to bed that night with a smile on his face. And after a few days, you know, of, of giving this, this uh, dog uh, broth and things and easing him back uh, into things, he, he got cleaned up and he was, he was, he was ready to go. He's the same old self. Um, but th- we love lost and found stories, even the ones that come out of Luke 15. But, um, but in our own neighborhood just last week, it was, it was Tuesday when, when Kelsey texted me. We were, uh, when I was away at Beulah, one of our neighbor's, their dog got spooked and, and got off its, its leash and um, the family tried to find it and there were posters up in our neighborhood and, and it was spotted from about Garden Creek all, all the way up to Kings Clear and, uh, but no one f- could find it. And seven weeks later... Uh, they they found the dog and it was it was rough looking and it needed to go to the vet but it's 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 good and it's home and and yesterday when Bruce and I were out for a walk there's there's this little water pail on the, on the trail and there's a little poster that said welcome back Ellie that's the dog's name and there was a little balloon to kind of celebrate its return because people love a lost and found story I was just reading a couple weeks ago in this book and and I heard this this encounter where the man was talking about Uh, when he was in college and he received Jesus and he's just like, I I guess I gotta go to church now. And so he just found any old church and he went and he didn't see anyone his age there and that was okay, but he he got through it and got back to the dining hall uh, for lunch. And when he was coming in, he saw this group and he could tell from the Bibles they were carrying in, they were also believers and they sat at a table. And anyway, he walked up to approach them and then they called him by name and they're like, is it true? And he's like, what? they're like is it is it true did you receive jesus and he's like yeah he's like we were praying for you and he just stopped and he said you were praying for me and it sounds like such a simple thing but he realized he he had been lost and they were praying that he would be found His name's Craig Groeschel. He's now, you know, the pastor of the largest church ever in North America. And he, he writes that Jesus came for the outsiders. He came for those who were lost, who were broken, who were hurting, disenfranchised, alone, overlooked, poor. Jesus came for those whom religion rejected. It's a powerful reminder of why we exist. In verse 17, Jesus responds to the Pharisees, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they're sinners. John Wesley writes, in his answer, he uses no harshness, but only calm, dispassionate reasoning. He's, he's not trying to be um, rough with, with, with these. And, and I love just that concept, sick people need a doctor. David Smith, he adds, any effective healer must be allowed to get his hands dirty. N.T. Wright says, there's no point in a doctor keeping company with healthy people. The doctor must associate with the sick, those who know they are sinners. Luke's account adds and they know the need to repent. No one needed to tell Levi and his friends that they were sinners. They knew. The, the religious people made it clear. They know they don't deserve an exception And let us become more aware of our own need for the transforming grace of God. So the scandal here causing the religious to be outraged is it appears as though Jesus demonstrated love and acceptance before there's repentance. That's a scary thing for religious people, isn't it? Though we don't see it explicitly in this encounter, he does call both sinners and so-called righteous to repentance. Repentance is required. There's no exceptions. But I was thinking through this story, and I was thinking, what if Levi's repentance began the moment he responded to Jesus? Jesus said, follow me and be my disciple. So Levi got up and followed him. He became obedient in a moment. It's clear that Levi physically left his Gentile-associated job at that moment. Was he also turning from his sin? I I can't comment on that, but Jesus could. But he was turning toward God, whether he fully grasped that Jesus is is God yet or, or not. And and this is at the heart of the gospel message, to repent of our sins and turn to God to be forgiven. That's the heart of Mark's gospel account as well. In the first two chapters, you see Jesus has cast out demons, he's healed many people, and he's even forgiving sins. Jesus himself said, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they're sinners. And this is a shock to the Pharisees. James R. Edwards Jr. writes, the difference between the mission of that of the scribes, that's the, these people, the religious, um, religious leaders who, who are also Pharisees, the scribes, they come to enlighten, but Jesus comes to redeem. Jesus was on a mission to redeem people, and he had, had to get close to people to do it. He chose to get close to people. He's the the great physician, and he had to get close to those who needed the healer. Jesus doesn't minimize or overlook sin. His death on the cross is a testimony to this fact that he's the one that came to forgive sin. He can take care of it. So if he wants to come and, and forgive Levi and his friends, he can do it. He's authorized to do it. We're not quite done, but I'm going to invite the worship team up before we... Wrap up this part and before we go on to communion, but but the real call here, the invitation before we take part in in communion together, is to repent of our sins if you haven't done that or haven't done it recently, repent of your sins. It, you know, confess them and and be forgiven. We we've talked about this for a while, but repent isn't meant to be this angry, loud thing that someone stands on a soapbox and, and and communicates to you or something like that. We don't need to do that, but it's simply that you're going this way, you have a change of heart and mind, and you turn this way. Not just away from that, but toward God. It's a beautiful part of the gospel message is that you turn from this way towards God who's this way. It's not just about getting away from that. It's about coming to Him. He's inviting us to the table. So turn to God, place your trust in Jesus. Believe the good news. That's really the gospel message. Jesus, he sent out his disciples with, in in these words from the end of Mark, the sacred and unfailing message of salvation that gives eternal life. And at the end of Luke's gospel, in his own words, he says, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. He came for the sinners. He came for the righteous too, but he definitely came for the sinners, which we all are. We all need repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. When I was mentioning about looking this direction, there needs to be a change of, of, of our mind, a change of our heart to be able to turn away from that toward God and be forgiven. Turn from our sin. Turn toward God. You're deciding to trust and obey him in that moment. Like Levi, he got up and he left his hot dog stand. In that moment, he was decided, I'm gonna obey Jesus starting now. From now on, I'm obeying him. And thanks to God's grace, you receive forgiveness when you come to him. You're born again, you're changed, you're a new creation. You were dead, but now you're alive in Christ. You're now a child of God when that happens, thanks to Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard the saying that the church is a hospital for sinners? That's at least part of the saying. It's more than that, but it's not less. John Stott wrote it this way. The gospel is not good advice for men, but good news about Christ. Not an invitation to us to do anything, but a declaration of what God has done. Not a demand, but an offer. He's offering that to us even today. I love how Pastor Tim loved to say this. You'll never receive a better offer than grace. It's the best offer. Where religion will say, I'll obey so that God accepts me, and and he has to, I'll do this thing, he'll do that for me. Well, the gospel is really, I'm accepted because of what Jesus has done for me, so I'll gladly obey him, but he's already done everything that I need for forgiveness for true life. Jesus forgives sins, and Jesus forgives sinners. So I have a, a literal invitation for you today. Before you're invited to the table, you're invited to Jesus. I'm asking you, where are you sitting today? It started where Levi was sitting in in his stand, uh, just doing his work, and Jesus saw him. Jesus walked by. And so if you could hear Jesus speaking to you today, he's inviting you, saying, follow me. If he's saying that to you, how would you respond? Well, for Levi, he got up and he followed. He left it all behind. Would you get up as well? Would you get up and, and follow him? Would you get out of your seat? Would you be a little bit embarrassed that that people can see that you're doing that? If you haven't ever accepted the invitation before, it still stands. And you can accept it even now. And this is the invitation of Jesus. I'm simply here just to help you to take that first step, but it's his and this is it. Jesus has an invitation for you. Follow me. That's his invitation is follow me. And he invites us to the table as well and would you get up and follow him